G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You know, the devil will go to any lengths to keep us from having a relationship with Jesus. One of the things he loves to do is to convince us that God's a liar and he's better at it than some of us may think. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond. Thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're continuing with the next message in this series, The Top 10 Lies the Devil Wants You to Believe, to get our faith onto solid ground, straight from God's Word. Amen? And do stay tuned, because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you about my free daily devotional, Fresh. It's all about helping you get God's Word into your heart every day, to help you draw closer to Jesus and become the person he always intended for you to be. Hey, let me ask you something today. If you wanted to make sure that people didn't get all the blessings of God in their lives, what would you do? How would you go about it? I mean, if you wanted to deceive me, convince me that there is no God that there is no greater being out there who wants the best for me, who loves me so much that he wants to share eternity with me, what would you say? What would you do? How, how would you go about it, huh? The reason I ask you is that there is someone who wants to do just that. His name's Satan, and he's intent on robbing us of God's best. And if he can convince us that there is no God, then it's game over. He can stop wasting his efforts on us, concentrate on someone else. That's why this is absolutely one of his top ten lies. Absolutely. And that's what today is going to be all about. The second message in this series that I've called The Top Ten Lies the Devil Wants You to Believe. Now, when it comes to not believing in the existence of God, consider this statement from Bertrand Russell. The objections to religion are of two sorts, intellectual and moral. The intellectual objection is that there is no reason to suppose any religion true. The moral objection is that religious precepts date from a time when men were more cruel than they are and therefore tend to perpetuate inhumanities which the moral consciousness of the age would otherwise outgrow. In other words, there can't possibly be a God because look at the violent, terrible people that God has chosen to reveal himself through. But not all of the devil's deceptions about God are intellectual arguments. In fact, 99% of them aren't. Now, if the devil can get us focused just on the here and now, looking down at the tasks at hand, then we don't have time to look up at God. I've had a seesawing thing happen in my life, or much of my life, when it comes to deciding whether or not there is in fact an all-powerful, all-loving God. As a child, I went to church with my parents every week. Most people did back then. But I can honestly say that not once did anything happen at church or anything that was said at church or or any of the songs that we sang at church, nothing convinced me that there was indeed a God. In fact, the thought never occurred to me. Going to church was just something we did back then. 
It wasn't meant to make a difference in our lives. In fact, as I looked around, there was nothing different, nothing inspiring about the people who attended the church. It was just something we did. In my mid to late high school years, I encountered Jesus for the first time in a powerful way through some friends, through in particular a young mate of mine, Grant. I attended the Christian fellowship meetings at lunchtime at school each week, and I even went on a few camps, and that was all good. But when the luxury of those idealistic years of high school ended, when I had to go out and earn a living and find my way in the world, when I was confronted with the harsh realities of life outside the covering and the blessing of my parents' home, things changed. And what changed is that, well, like so many of my peers, I hopped onto that treadmill of life. Studies, university, career, finding a house, paying a mortgage, worrying about what car I should drive and what people would think of me, and on and on and on. And pretty soon, God was irrelevant. Did God exist? Well, maybe. And as time went on, that maybe became more and more tenuous. The idea that there might be a God became more and more distant. Until one day, I probably didn't really believe that there was a God. In fact, when I finally did cry out to God in a time of pain and distress, about all I could manage was something like, well, God, if you're really out there, now would be a good time. That's all I had. And fortunately, that's all he needed to hear. I wonder in your day-to-day life, how's it gone for you? For many people, it isn't the grand, apparently logical argument that convinces them that there's no God. It's just that the busyness of life distracts from ever asking, ever looking, ever thinking about it. And for many, it's not until they hit a brick wall that they even consider the possibility that there's a God. You've heard that saying, take time to smell the roses. Most of us don't. I'm convinced that if more people took time to smell the roses, if we took time to breathe in the fresh, clean air around us, if we took time to go out for a walk through the forest after a heavy rainstorm or or sit on some craggy rock looking out at an angry dark ocean, if we took more time, God would be a whole bunch more obvious to us. Don't believe me? Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say about how God reveals himself. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God's shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and his divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that he's made. So they are without excuse, for though they knew God, they didn't honour him as God and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. In other words, take time to look around. Look at the wondrous beauty of the rose as you smell it. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the wonder of this world, the vastness, the the incomprehensible vastness of the cosmos. So big is the known universe, and it's only the known universe I'm talking about, that for light to travel at 186,000 miles per second from one end of the universe to the other would take 20 billion years. Look at the wonder of creation and tell me point blank it was an accident. To me, it takes a whole bunch more faith to be an atheist than a Christian. To me, it seems incredibly far-fetched to believe that in the beginning there was nothing and nothing happened to nothing and then nothing magically exploded for no reason, creating everything and then a bunch of everything magically rearranged itself for no reason, which then turned into dinosaurs. I'm sorry, I don't mean to make light of it, but that about sums it up for me. 
If the devil can have us believe that there is no one behind creation, if he can have us believe that all there is is now, and that's what Richard Dawkins wants us to believe when he writes, be thankful that you have a life and forsake your vain presumptuous desire for a second one. If the devil can just keep us with our heads down, living out the daily grind, he's won. That's the lie. It's a lie that permeates much of the thinking in our society. It's a lie that permeates the life of many a man and many a woman and many a child as we eke out our existence. But stop and think about it. Stop and look around. Stop and look up at the millions of stars in the Milky Way on a clear night. Stop and notice the wonder of the intricate design of that rose you smelled and its exquisite perfume. Stop and notice all God's created. And there's a small voice inside us that says, there has to be something more. There just has to be. C.S. Lewis was the author of the Narnia collection, and he was a great theologian. And he said something along these lines. He said, look, in the absence of any other evidence, the existence of the human thumb is sufficient to convince me that there's a God. So great a feat of engineering did he consider the human thumb to be that he couldn't look at it in any other way than as evidence of the genius of God. The devil wants us to believe there is no God, that there's only here and now. What a cruel lie that's going to turn out to be for many, many people. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you took time to smell the roses, to look at creation, to ask yourself, how did all this happen? When was the last time you asked the question, does God really exist? Is he really concerned about my life? Maybe it's time to stop, to think to observe, to question. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. The Word of God is alive and active, amen, with the power to transform your life, to help you be all that God made you to be. And that's what the Fresh Daily Devotional is all about. It's completely free, and I'd love to send it to you. Each day, you'll receive a life-changing scripture together with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement from me delivered right to your inbox where you can choose to read, listen or even watch the daily video. It's completely up to you. Remember, God's word is the power to change. It's fresh for you each day. You can subscribe to receive your free daily devotional at freshdevotional.org or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 to request the printed Fresh Devotional, if that works better for you. Again, that's freshdevotional.org or 1-300-722-415. My prayer is that your heart will be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through the power of His Word. And there is such an incredible power in the Word of God, is there not? So let's dive straight back in to see what else He has for us today. So, so what have you thought about the devil's lies so far? Maybe if you're like up to 80% of Christians surveyed who don't actually believe in the existence of the devil, you might be saying to yourself, this guy on the radio is a bit loopy. He, he, he believes in the existence of the devil. Woo! And it's true. 78% of the people in the US who call themselves Christians either don't believe in the devil or aren't sure that he exists. So I guess there are more than just a few people listening today who think, mm, maybe Bernie's a bit loopy. 
And that's lie number one. We looked at that last week. If the devil can trick us into believing that he doesn't exist at all, hey, bingo, he's won. He's actually very good at it. And another biggie, which we explored just before the break, is that the devil works very hard indeed to get us to believe that not only does he not exist, but neither does God. And if that doesn't work on us, then he moves on to the next lie, the one we're going to look at right now, which is that what God says isn't true. And you see that lie for the very first time in only the third chapter of the first book of the Bible. So often what the devil does is he he doesn't confront the big issues, the big truths head on, because it's just too hard to do that. Why try and knock over the tower through a full-on frontal attack? Now, what he does is that he quietly chips away at the foundations until all of a sudden the whole fortress crumbles. All of a sudden we don't know anymore what we believe. It's just what he did with Adam and Eve. We had a look at Satan's first encounter with humanity last week. But let's have another look at that same passage today from a different angle. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Now the woman said to the serpent, Hey, listen, we can eat from any tree in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, Look, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make them wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Do you notice how rather than taking on what God said head on, Satan twists the truth and dishes it up in a different form? God's instruction to Adam and Eve was that you can have the whole lot, everything in the garden. Just don't touch the fruit on this one tree. And Satan twists that into a lie. Did God say, you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now, Eve knows the truth, so she gives it back to the serpent. No, no. God said we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. You'd think the whole thing would end right there, but... But see, Satan's smart and he's persistent. Instead of attacking the do-don't truth of God, because first round it didn't work, he simply undermines the impact that doing the deed will have. God said, don't do it because you'll die. Satan says, no, 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 you won't die. You'll just be like God. It won't kill you. So there's no reason not to do it. In fact, there's a benefit. You can be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil just like God. It's not really a sin, and even if it is, look, come on, it's only a small one. That's how he works. And that's how he works with the Bible too. He undermines God's living word, and here's how he does it. There are parts of the Bible that we just can't wrap our minds around. Some of the Old Testament law, for instance, the punishments seem totally outrageous to us today. And so the enemy can use those to undermine the truth and the certainty we have in God's word. The West Wing is one of my favourite TV shows. I think it's one of the best TV series ever to come out of the US. And there's a great scene in one of the episodes. 
where President Bartlett attacks a not-so-nice talk show host on a particular issue, and he hurls these Old Testament quotes in her face. Have a listen to them. Bartlett. I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21, 7. She says Georgetown sophomore speaks fluent Italian, always cleaned the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 35, verse 2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police? And here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? Think about those questions, would you? Now, I think you'll agree that the President Bartland character has something of a point with those. Not only do those laws not apply to us, but it seems totally inconceivable that an all-loving God would give such laws to his people. And so therefore, Bartlett's reasoning goes, everything in the Bible is up for grabs. There is no real truth. Did God really say? You see how easy it is to get on that slippery slope? And yet at the same time, there are clearly parts of the Bible written as it was over a few thousand years by a whole bunch of different people, the most recent book having been completed almost 2,000 years ago. There are parts of it that are bound not to make sense for us today. Would we put any of those laws that Bartlett quoted into action today? I don't think so. Therefore, the devil's reasoning goes, a whole bunch of things are up for grabs. Really? Really? The Bible's just a bunch of myths and legends. Maybe there's a few reasonable moral things in there, but that's about it. That's the devil's logic, and it's easy, it's very easy to follow his line of thinking. And yet I believe, as do hundreds of millions of people across the globe, that the Bible is the living word of God, alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. The hardest thing for people to agree on is not what the Bible says or whether the events recorded in it actually happened. The hardest thing for people to agree on is what does it mean to us today in a totally different time, a totally different culture from the times and cultures in which its various books were written. It's going to make a few Christians a bit squirmish, We try not to think about that or talk too much about it, but it's true. There are bits that clearly don't make sense to us today. There are bits that clearly do. Which is which? That's what the arguments are all about, and the devil loves it. For my part, I believe that the Bible is the living word of God. Yes, there are bits of it that I struggle with. There are bits of it that I don't understand. The ethnic cleansing and genocide in the book of Joshua is a great place for me to start. I want to ask God about that when I spend eternity with him. And yet there is a power, there is a consistency, there is a truth in God's word, the Bible, which is undeniable. Do I work hard in understanding not only what God's saying through his word, but how it applies today? Yes, I do. Much of the Bible is meant to be taken literally. Other parts, like the poetry in the Psalms, speaks to us in a different way. A book like the book of Revelation is a form of literature, apocalyptic literature, for which there's no direct parallel in 21st century English-speaking culture. But it speaks powerful truths to us by painting pictures. I'm a pretty hard-nosed kind of guy. I don't swallow fables easily. 
And yet I've come to the conclusion, like Paul the Apostle, that the Word of God is exactly that, the living Word of God, and that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. Life can be hard work some days, and as that daily grind just kind of grinds away at us, it's easy to forget that Jesus died and rose again to give us victory. That's why I'd love to send you a short text message of encouragement straight to your phone, just as the Spirit leads, perhaps even when you least expect it. That's what Victory SMS is all about. Roughly every other week, I ask the Lord, what word of encouragement could I give to you today? So if you'd like the occasional bit of encouragement to help you live your life in victory, then head across to victorysms.org and when you do subscribe, you'll immediately receive a free copy of my ebook, Power Unlimited. Thousands of people already have. And the most common response? Oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. How did you know that? Thank you so much. It's simply amazing how powerfully the Spirit of God can move through just a short text message. And I'd love to encourage you too to live your life in victory. Again, that web address is victorysms.org. Okay, let's head straight back into the Word of God. Most of us at some point in our lives have heard God's word. We've heard the good news about Jesus. Maybe we lived it for a while. Maybe we're even trying to live it right now. But it ain't working so well. The reason for that is that often Satan comes along with his lies and plucks the truth out of our hearts. Don't believe me? Have a listen to what Jesus has to say on this very thing. Luke chapter 8 beginning at verse 4. When a great crowd had gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, Look, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and listening they may not understand. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word of God, receive it with joy, But these have no root. They believe only for a while, and in a time of testing they fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for that in the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patient endurance." You see, I totally relate to that. There was a time in my teenage years when I received the word of God. I took it into my heart. I believed it. But then Satan came along and plucked it from my heart like a raven coming to eat the trodden grain on the path. 
And so for the next 20 years or so, I wandered in, in this wilderness. I look back on those two decades of my life, it could have been so different. There could have been so much less suffering. There could have been so much more fruit in my life. And yet God's word hadn't fallen into the good soil of my heart. It had fallen on the path. And so when that happens, the devil's able to come along with his lies and pluck the truth from our hearts. Can you see the tragedy of that? I had the truth. I had the word of life and it was stolen from me and I let him take it away. That's what the devil's lies do. doesn't matter which lie we swallow, just one of them will do. Whether we believe that God doesn't exist or whether we let the devil diminish God's word in our lives to pluck the truth from us, he doesn't care which one we swallow. Either way, he wins and we lose. Let me encourage you today to take God's word and wrap your heart around it. And literally, let the seed, the word of God, fall on the good soil in your heart. In other words, don't just treat it superficially like, like grain lying on a hard, rocky path where it can never strike root and grow. Take God's word to your heart. Take it seriously. Feed on it. Let it grow. Let it take root. Let it become part of you. Because when we do that, this is what, according to Jesus, is going to happen. But as for the good soil, these are the ones who, when they heard the word of God, held it fast in an honest and good heart and bore fruit with patience and endurance. Friend, that's precisely what Jesus wants for your life. Take his word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and your life will bear such fruit. Actually, you'll have so much fruit, you won't know what to do with it all. This Christianity Works program is sharing the powerful, practical Word of God with so many people in over 160 countries around the world. But that's only made possible through the generous support of friends just like you. Each dollar that you give today will grow to reach nearly 3,000 people with a gospel message. Incredible! That means that a gift today of just $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today. Securely online at ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, two things. Firstly, don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet that I've been telling you about. It's only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Secondly, we would love to pray for you. Absolutely. Just click on the powerful prayer tile at the bottom of the homepage. Again, that's all at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Hey, thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.